Um, well, I should say, I mean, I'm, I'm not a news journalist. I'm a sort of half entertainer, half, I guess you would say, <laughs> feature journalist. Just sort of background on what I do. I started my radio show when I was in college at UC Santa Cruz. I'm now 30 years old, so it's been 11 years. I started the show when I was 19. And I did the show through my college years. And when I graduated from college, I moved back home into my mom's house in San Francisco. And um, I had this conversation with my then girlfriend, now wife. And it sort of went like this. I guess I should quit my show. And um, she said, yeah, but you don't really do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, yeah, OK, point taken. And so I started borrowing my mom's car, because I didn't have a car at the time. Well, I did. I had an 82 El Camino, but it was not a car that you wanted to drive over the mountains between San Francisco and Santa Cruz once a week. So I started borrowing my mom's car once a week to drive back and forth to Santa Cruz to do my college radio show, which is a little pathetic. It's a little bit like the high school quarterback like putting on his letterman's jacket and going back to high school once a week to like sell hot dogs at the game or something. <laughs> But um, I kept doing my show because, as, as my then-girlfriend said, it was the thing that I did. And um, I, I did the show as my, um, it just as, as a, I don't know, I don't know what I was doing it for. Um, as I was applying for jobs, and I had a horrible, horrible time trying to get a job um, in public radio or, frankly, anywhere else when I graduated from college. I graduated from college in 2003. and. Um, I don't know, just getting a job when you get out of college is really, really hard, as it turns out. Um, and I applied for hundreds of jobs in radio and um, lots and lots of jobs elsewhere and just had a bear of a time getting a job. I ended up getting a part-time job as an administrative assistant at a nonprofit. So I was working part-time at this nonprofit and you know, making 12 bucks an hour, 25 hours a week, and that was sort of my income. And I finally made it out of my mom's house, so that was good. Um, <laughs> And podcasting got invented at the end of 2004. And I, at the time, was putting my show up on my website as real audio files and getting a few dozen people listening every week to the show on the internet, which I thought was pretty cool. And we had a pretty significant following in Santa Cruz. Um, and I figured, well, if I can get 100 or 200 people to listen to my show on this podcast thing, um, then it's probably worth the extra couple of hours of work to make it into a podcast. Because would I do a couple hours of work to go to a place where there was a couple hundred people to listen to my show? Yeah, probably so. And within a couple of months, I had a couple hundred people listening to my show via podcast. And then Apple iTunes launched podcasting support, and that couple hundred people turned into a couple thousand people within another few months. And that was 2005-ish. Um, around then, uh, I got a call from WNYC in New York, and they had heard my show in iTunes um, and were impressed by it. And they said, are you really 25 <laughs> or 24, I guess I was at the time. And I said, yeah, I am really 24. And they said, are you really just doing this show by yourself? <laughs> and I said, yes. And they said, wow, well, would you be willing to put together a best of and we could run it on the weekends? And I said, yes. And they paid me, I don't remember, $500 or something like that. But it was pretty awesome. And over the course of the next um, five years or so, I went from that state of affairs to um, having my show be distributed by Public Radio International, being on a few dozen stations around the country, 
And um, when I discovered that being on a few dozen stations around the country would pay me a total of, I'm not kidding, even today, being on dozens of stations, including many major markets, $22,000 a year, um, I started a podcasting, <laughs> I started a podcast, public radio, I started a podcasting network um, and developed a sort of direct fundraising system from our podcast audience um, and started several other comedy-based shows um, that now have as big audiences online as my public radio show does. Um, and have put together a very good living from that. So my story essentially is of someone who tried desperately to get into the system in the normal way, um, who did everything. I mean, I went to college. I had a great public radio show. I did an internship. I, um, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, could not get a job to save my life. Um, and so I just kept doing my college radio show and made it into my own thing. And now I'm not only the, I'm, I'm actually, f it's been four years that I've been with PRI. I'm still the youngest, even if I had signed with PRI today, I would still be the youngest nationally syndicated public radio host ever. <laughs> I think that uh, Guy Raz, who hosts, well, I think Weekend Edition on NPR is the youngest right now. And he's like, the youngest besides me, I think he's like 35. Um, but I'm also one of the few who owns their show. Um, I think Tavis Smiley owns his show. There's a couple other people um, who produce their show independently. But almost all public radio shows are produced either out of stations or by networks. And I produce my show in a studio in my house in Mount Washington, 15 minutes from here. Um, and in addition, to, in addition to the shows that I produce, I also, as I mentioned, have a podcasting network of comedy podcasts that includes not just shows that I host and produce. I do a show with John Hodgman from The Daily Show. Um, you might also know as the PC in the Mac versus PC commercials. Um, uh, and I uh, also distribute several comedy podcasts that are produced by uh, people all around the country um, who do comedy podcasts. And we help them with their fundraising and basically split their fundraising with them and do sort of public radio style underwriting slash advertising with them and split that money with them. Um, and you know, we take part of it to cover our uh, fundraising costs and give them part of the money so that they can make money from the work that they're doing. And so for me, the story of digital media's, the story of digital's effect on media and the story of the lack of gatekeepers is not a story of, you know, the, 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 you know, the fall of standards and uh, 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 unproven correlation between people thinking that Obama is the Antichrist and, um, and the collapse of newspapers, um, I would say that you know, the newspapers were doing really great when people thought black people and white people shouldn't drink from the same water fountains. Um, but um, it, to me, it's the story of uh, a new world in which if you can make a deep connection with an audience, um, you can find a way to make a living from that. Uh, no matter no matter who, without having to go through a, a gatekeeper, without having to convince someone who has money and power uh, that um, that what you are doing is worthwhile, and I think that particularly because the because of the simple fact that the people who have money and power, you know, have particular perspectives, you know, even if it's just in you know in in my case, it's the you know, power structure in public radio are largely people who 
came into public radio when it was growing at its fastest clip, which was you know the late 70s and early 80s. They all have a very distinctive generational perspective. Um, and it's different from my generational perspective, and they've never heard of any of the guests on my show. And so they don't relate to it. And um, I often get the advice, I just the other day, someone from PRI suggested to me, you should book some guests from Star Trek, the original series. Program directors really like Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> George Shakai seems like a cool guy. Maybe I'll book him. But, um, you know, and so uh, the fact that I don't have to do, that I don't have to do uh, translation to those people in power, whereas my dad's advice, you know, my dad is a baby boomer and, you know, came up in the, uh, you know, was a veteran and, and lived most of his adult life in the Vets Peace Movement, you know, all he could offer me as advice was, well, they'll die. <laughs> Because that's what he had to do, you know? He had to wait until he was 45 or 50, and the people that called him a long hair died. <laughs> so for me, it's a really exciting opportunity that I can connect directly with people and that they can, you know, give me five bucks a month and that I can be, uh, you know, that I can, uh, you know, have a baby and you know, buy food. <laughs> Jesse, did you Jesse, did you want to show the video? I have oh yeah, you know, I, in addition, in addition to the, in addition to all the crap that I just talked about that I do, I also you're you're probably wondering why I'm dressed like a sort of like a character from Dallas or something. Um, I also I also do a video series about menswear called Put This On, a blog and video series about menswear. This is something that I'm very passionate about, and my background was in audio, but I, I thought this was a very as visual thing, and so I wanted to do it in video, and we, um, we started this as a video series that we funded through Kickstarter, which you guys may be familiar with. It's a crowdsourced uh, funding website for creative projects, and we went from a $1,500 budget for the first episode, me, me and my director, to a $15,000 uh, budget for our first six episode series to a $70,000 budget for our second six episode series, um, which involved us. Uh, we just finished shooting it. We went to Milan, Paris, and, um, excuse me, Milan, New York, and London um, to shoot six episodes. Um, this is, th this has not yet premiered. This premieres uh, on the 13th, but this is a, just a one and a half minute segment of something that I actually haven't even seen yet. Um, uh, I play the saxophone, and I write and arrange music, and every so often I teach music privately. I dress to show respect for the environment. Okay, so um, I think playing music as an occupation is a privilege, and as such I try and respect the, the privilege, you know, and information to play music. So, you know, when I, when I see people come out to listen to music, buy music, it's a conscious decision to spend money and they can spend somewhere else. So it's like whatever I can do to add to that experience, I do that. And you know, just to add some sort of positivity to the environment, you know, so that you care that people come out and, you know, respect what you do. I started wearing a necktie as soon as I could speak to ask my dad what he was doing when I watched him tie You know, it was it was, he still is very careful about what he wears, even if he dressed down completely, it's always intentional. Uh, my granddad's like that too. 
So uh, my mom, you know, my mother was very kind to her parents. It's just kind of, you know, in the water or something. So we use, we use different funding models for different kinds of projects. So this project we funded through Kickstarter because it's very discreet uh, in terms of its scope. We, it's built in episodes and um, so we can say we want to make six episodes. We need this amount of money for the production budget. It's very easy to say what we need the money for. For a week-to-week -week show like Bullseye, my radio show, it's much more difficult to say we could break it up into years or six-month periods, but it's a, it's a much more amorphous continuing, as anyone here who works in nonprofits knows, it's a lot more difficult to raise uh, operating expenses than it is to raise capital expenses. So um, we fund that through, essentially through um, uh, five, 10, $20 a month continuing donations from audience members, for the most part. That's about 60% of our audience. 60% uh, of our budget. We also do live events, and um, that's a significant part of our budget. And we're not a nonprofit. None of this stuff is, all this stuff is for profit. Um, I think that in this new world, people are very comfortable paying for things that they like because they like them and they want them to be made. Um, they, they don't see paying, they don't see giving me $20 a month for the four shows that they listen to as an act of charity. They see it as a matter of paying for the thing that they like. And the fact that I give everything that I do away absolutely for free, no controls over any of it, they see that as me trusting them to pay them, to pay me. Anyway. <laughs>